Hello, I'm James Cridland, the Radio Futurologist. I've got a newsletter that comes out every single week, and this is a podcast <clears throat> every other week uh, where I uh, read some of it out in a entire long one take without any uh, editing because um, I'm trying to learn how to talk better. You know, I mean, it's only taken 50 years so far. Might as well see what I can do. Anyway, um, this was the um, newsletter that I sent out on August the 14th, and I was talking about why the words we use matter. And I illustrated it with a photograph of um, a street near where I live with a little sign saying, this is a 4ZZZ household, support community radio, which is a proud-looking sign. Uh, it's uh, an alternative music station where I live here in Brisbane, in Queensland, in Australia. Um, they were in a Radiothon fundraiser when I sent this newsletter out. And um, I also linked to a podcast about their history. You can find that at james.crid.land. Um, but uh, what was I saying? I was saying about the words that we use. And I was t started by talking about Terry Wogan. Terry Wogan was a popular UK radio broadcaster. He was actually Irish, and he used to say that he only ever spoke to one person when he was on the air. And any radio programmer will tell you that the language you use on air is incredibly important. Uh, Steve Martin, who is the best programme director I've ever worked at, uh, he worked for a radio station called The Pulse in Bradford, and I think he then moved to Hart in East Anglia. Anyway, he was particularly picky about the phrases you used and the way that you said things. And what sticks into my head is an observation one day. Uh, I think I was saying, the pulse is Elliot Webb is on tomorrow. And he said, yes, yes, James, because he talks a bit like this. Yes, James, the pulse is Elliot Webb. That's OK, but we're called the pulse. So why didn't you say Elliot Webb from the pulse? Which is much clearer. And frankly, he was entirely right. So um, well done, Steve Martin, again. Anyway, it's really exciting coming back to language, to see research released by Spotify about language and pace. Now, this is deeply boring academic research. They took more than 5,300 different podcast episodes. They transcribed them all, and they also compared the playback data for them because they've got all of that information for it as well. A significant amount of data to help them understand what works and what doesn't. And um, the full paper is available as a PDF, uh, which you can go and download. And they discovered that exclusive words like he, they and her perform worse than inclusive ones like we, you and my. Positivity as well works better than negativity. Swearing is a turn off. Also, ums and ers and ohs and rights and cools. Uh, all of those types of filler words, he says, saying the word er there, appear to harm a podcast rather than help it. Hello? Is this thing on? And high engagement podcast creators seem to speak relatively fast as well. It's stuff that doesn't come as a surprise to many people in radio, but I've never seen as much data behind those assertions as exist uh, in this Spotify research. It's a fascinating read, links to other research as well, and well worth taking a peek at. The clever folks at Radio Analyzer with a Z have seen similar, they say, with radio streams, which is nice. 
I've also always been cautious about the claim that I see many give about broadcast radio and TV being so much more resilient than the internet in time of an emergency, which is fine, but it isn't always true. You've got one big point of failure or one big transmitter, and occasionally that one big point of failure fails. And a fire in Billsdale on the North Yorkshire Moors wiped out TV and FM and DAB broadcasts for more than a million people. Uh, recently, and that's one of the times when the UK's policy of co-locating transmitter sites is a bit of an Achilles heel. Normally, very good idea, works very well. And to be fair, works very well, pretty well all of the time, except for when your big transmitter either catches fire or falls down in the case of Emily Moore. But for television, Billsdale fed a number of repeater sites, including Whitby, In Whitby, they've switched to an emergency pre-multiplexed satellite feed which contains programming from London, so that must be confusing people. Meanwhile, there's a wonderful BBC News report that I link to which claims that BBC television channels are back on air for many and that BBC Tees FM is also back on the air. Not a mention of anybody else. I mean, it's almost as if nobody else exists. Uh, The BBC, independent and impartial, as long as it's not a story that contains its competitors, of course. Uh, It reminds me of the glorious days when the BBC ran its own trusted and impartial internet search engine. And a search for Classic FM returned entries for BBC Radio 3, which is just brilliant. A bug, of course. Uh, Obviously a bug. Not on purpose. No, no. Anyway, uh, I recommend an hourly reminder... Uh, of all or at least some of the platforms that any radio station is available on. You know, on your mobile, on 96.9 FM, on DAB, digital radio and on Sky. This is multi-platform radio. At least if one of them falls over, your listeners know how else they can still listen. One of the cleverest things that uh, UK commercial radio company Global did recently was to buy into the outdoor advertising market. It can use unsold inventory there to promote other parts of its business. So, for example, they're currently running all kinds of stuff for the Capital Weekender Live, sponsored by Oreos, uh, which is going to be uh, quite smart. And it's also, of course, very capable now of building that sort of out-of-home Uh, marketing into its sponsorship packages as well, which is really clever and no one else can do, certainly not Bauer. PrimeSight was one of the outdoor advertising companies uh, bought by Global and PrimeSight was once owned by the parent company of the original Virgin Radio, where I worked, alongside cinema ad company Pearl and Dean. Now, in those days, it was expensive to produce and paste the posters, even if you could get the placements. And now, though, there are electronic billboards in many places And it's rather simpler to make the best out of cross-promotion activities. Technology has made cross-media ownership far more efficient these days. And outdoor advertising is quite clever. It's quite a clever purchase, I think. It's historically been quite buoyant, though I imagine the last 18 months has bucked that trend. Ordinarily, outdoor appears to follow different trends than broadcast radio advertising. And interesting that radio and outdoor is actually a thing in quite a few different countries. So here in Australia, APN News and Media owned both ARN for radio, APN Outdoor and AdShell. Um, now APN News and Media is called HT&E, which I think stands for here, there and everywhere. Um, and uh, they mainly own ARN, but they're looking at buying more things now, which is interesting. The US, of course, saw Clear Channel own both radio and outdoor. And in Canada, Patterson owns many radio stations as well as outdoor as well. I'm sure there are many more examples uh, too. 
I think to a Twitter account. What's the Twitter account called? Let's have a quick look. It's called Every Second Song. And that uh, looks like it's going to be quite a fun Twitter account to follow. It posts a song with every length, counting up one second every day. So perfect for back timing to the news um, and uh, worth a look at. Um, radio output for young people. Oh, yes, this was some new data from the UK, highlighted by Matt Deegan. And radio appears to be losing the battle for attention, according to Ofcom's data. Uh, Matt's suggestion, as mine has been for many years, is to ensure that you're not just focusing on live radio, but you focus on audio in all of its forms. And for younger audiences, I maintain you should make... You should make content for on demand first and then air that content on the radio. And I would suggest that we're already doing this, well, we're currently doing this at least, the wrong way round. If you're still chopping up bits of a breakfast show to reheat for a podcast later, I don't think that's the right plan anymore. And if you book me, I can talk about that for uh, 45 minutes in a conference speech. And related to that, I linked to how TV viewing was going across the world. Uh, That was some data from uh, Nielsen. Let's click through and remind myself of what that said. Oh, yes. There was some fascinating stuff. So basically, linear TV is uh, receding by between 2 and 3% year on year. And um, really interesting to see how New Zealand, just uh, live TV, just so badly in New Zealand. It's astonishing. Um, So, uh, I mean, in 2019, before everything that's going on out there, uh, in 2019, live TV had a 49% reach. Just 49% of the population watched live TV in New Zealand. Uh, The highest Uh, according to here, and I'm not sure whether this is daily reach or weekly reach. I'm not sure it necessarily says. Does it say in the bottom? Uh, I can't see it. Total TV, all day, all time. Um, But I can't see whether this is uh, daily reach or weekly reach. In any case, um, yeah, uh, New Zealand, very low. Um, New Zealand was measured on continuous 15 minutes of watching. Um, Most of the other countries weren't. And the country at the top, uh, what's that? Serbia uh, is the country at the top, randomly. Taiwan, second in the list. Malaysia, third in the list. Uh, And then Poland. And then Mexico. And where is the US? Because the US is normally pretty good here. US is quite mid-table and is um, decreasing rapidly, in fact. Um, So some fascinating data there. I've rabbited on for a bit, haven't I there? But some fascinating data there around um, how people are consuming TV as well. And that's from Nielsen. And Nielsen is a cheerleader for its broadcast clients. So when it's saying things like reach levels are dropping between 2 and 3% each year as viewing behaviours fragment... Um, then it's actually worthwhile looking at because that's Nielsen saying that too. It's always nice to see some good media regulation going on. Um, In one case recently, siding with the radio presenter. Congratulations, LBC's James O'Brien, who I went to school with. Fun to compare um, that kind of regulation with the lacklustre stuff going on in Australia. The most powerful media regulator is currently YouTube uh, here in Australia rather than ACMA. Um, YouTube has chucked uh, Sky News, which is a dreadful, horrible uh, channel here run by Murdoch. And they chucked, uh, YouTube chucked them off their platform for a week because they were saying silly things about COVID. So there you go. 
Um, and finally, nothing much to do with radio, but I've been building my own hybrid television box and quite enjoying it, and it works quite well. I'm quite proud of it. So, um, yes, that's uh, up and running and, um, and, and there. And there's more information about that if you'd like to learn a little bit more in the link in the show notes. A thank you to James Masterton, to Howser Dictionary, Richard Hilton and Brun Audio Consulting for your kind ongoing support of my newsletter and of this podcast. I'm very grateful to you. If you would like to give me a uh, coffee, as these fine people have, buymeacoffee.com slash James Cridland. You can become a member if you like to, to give regularly or just give one-off coffees if you like or, or five. Um, then that's all good. If you want more information, then my professional website is james.cridland.net. And until next time, keep listening. <laughs>